0: Thank you. Hey, happy 16th, Flipside. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. There's a a lot of you that started this ride a long time ago with us, and it's been wonderful to see how God uh, continues to move us and shake us and and work through us. And I know uh, this morning my parents who started this ride with me 16 years ago uh, in this church are watching in Idaho. Uh, And my dear friends, Alan and Beth and Visalia, who started this ride a long time ago, she was handling our books and and all kinds of people that we stand on the shoulders uh, of those many still in this church. And some God has taken other places, but uh, it is, you know, that song, Take Me on a Ride, uh, You Give Me Something to Live For. That's the story of the kingdom. And every kingdom person has got something worth living for. That's much greater than ourselves. And our problem is that oftentimes we believe that our lives are about ourselves and for ourselves. God has taken us on a ride in Flipside that's been 16 years in the making. And it's a ride that has been worth living for. And I want us to understand something about that ride. And the truth is this that every other ride eventually will let you down. And will stop and will end and be disappointed. Every other ride, only the ride of the kingdom and only the ride with God ends in fulfillment and is unending. Every other ride, the ride of a career, the ride of any hobby, the ride of any athletic, any other ride, it all ends and ultimately will end with disappointment. Every other thing that we could give ourselves to will let us down, except the right of the kingdom. Only the right of the kingdom will never end. Only the right of the kingdom ends into eternity. But our experience of this ride that we've been invited into by God will be contingent Upon how we answer a question, none of us are inclined to ask. Let me give an example. When I was in college, at the height of my wisdom, when I understood the answer to everyone else's question, you know what it's like to be in college. Back in the day, I questioned my brother who at the time was a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. And I asked him this question. Why the Star-Spangled Banner? Why not a song that's more uplifting than the Star-Spangled Banner? I asked him, I said, Eric, why not something like America the Beautiful? I mean, just think about the lyrics to America the Beautiful. Oh, beautiful for spacious sky for amber waves of green, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shiny sea. I asked my Marine Corps Sergeant brother, why not a song like that as our national anthem? Why the Star Spangled Banner? I mean, think about those words. O say, can you see, by the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare, the bomb bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. O say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free the home of the brave? I asked him, I said, Eric, America of the beautiful is uplifting. It's positive. It's hopeful. The anthem. The Star-Spangled Banner is somber and difficult, foreboding, and does nothing but raise questions. My brother's response to me forever changed my perspective about our nation's anthem. He said, Carl, the anthem asks every American a question that must be answered. And when we stop asking the question that the anthem asks, our nation dies. Because the question requires a response. says so the question that it asks, every time we sing it, is does what the banner represents in its truest and purest form and essence of what the American experiment is. Does that banner still wave over its citizens and its government? We have to answer that question, he said. Does that banner still wave over our republic of what the banner represents in its truest and purest form? He told me, he said, Carl, it's the answer to that question that drives both personal liberty and freedom and corporate justice and equality. And that, he said, is the beauty and the power of the anthem. It asks a question of every citizen that must be answered. And the moment we stop asking that question, our nation dies. He told me, he said, that question should be asked of every citizen and patriot and should be asked of this government does that banner still wave over this land of the free and over this home of the brave? The lingering question of the anthem compels the citizen and the patriot to answer it. And it should serve as the rally cry of both private citizen and public servant. I got a little bit more from a brother than I expected. But that answer forever changed my perspective of the national anthem. And it was given to me by a Marine who was both proud and questioned the veracity of both this republic and her citizens. That very idea is exactly the way the book of Mark ends. With a lingering question that must be answered by the citizens of the kingdom. It leaves us with the question that if we consider ourselves a citizen of that kingdom, the question must be answered that Mark leaves us with. And the question that Mark leaves us with is of greater value and importance and lasting value than even the future of this republic. Mark's gospel has three different endings. Three different endings are in your Bible to how Mark ends. The most reliable ending, the earliest ending we have, leaves us with nothing but a burning question that must be answered by the citizens of the kingdom of God. Let me show you how Mark ends. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. This is after the crucifixion. The body's been taken down and laid in a tomb. Very early the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. The women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That is how the earliest manuscripts record the ending of Mark. That is how this gospel ends. Not real inspiring, is it? The message of a risen Savior to citizens of the kingdom who leave and say nothing because they're terrified and afraid. Here's the question that the book of Mark literally leaves us with and lingers. How will I respond to the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus? The anthem that God has spoken over all of humanity's kingdom is the resurrection of Christ. What is my response in the question of that anthem how will I respond will I leave in fear will I live in fear will I walk away in wonder how long will I stay silent these three women I would argue are the most devoted disciples around Jesus these three women followed Jesus through Galilee. These three women helped fund his ministry. These three women were at the cross when he was crucified, when almost every other disciple ran away. These three women saw where the body was laid. These three women got up early in the morning while it was still dark, the first moment possible, and headed to the tomb with spices to anoint and honor what they thought would be his dead body, these three women. They left that morning expecting to find a body in a tomb. But they loved him so much that they were willing to honor a dead body. Profound love. Not worried about the stone that was in front of the cave called the tomb. That stone, 5,000 pounds. Somehow they figured it would be rolled away, they had faith. And they walk up to it and they were not prepared for what they saw. They were prepared to see a stone in front of a tomb that held a body. What they saw was a stone rolled away and an empty tomb. They were not prepared for that. Let me tell you something. The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so they could get in and see that the tomb was now empty. And the angel said, Jesus is raised. You just missed him. And he has gone into Galilee. And these three women, the most devoted of disciples, the most fearless of disciples, those who funded, cared for his ministry, these ones were frozen in fear, terrified. The anthem of the resurrection demands us ask a question. In light of the resurrection, what will be my response? If I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, the anthem that is the resurrection flies over this kingdom, what will be my response? Every citizen has to answer that question. The angel gives two instructions to those women. Don't be afraid. Go and tell. Don't be afraid. Go and tell your huddle about it. What did they do? They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And the earliest and best copies we have of the gospel of Mark, the ones that predate every other, ends at verse 8. And that's the end of the gospel. And it leaves the citizens of the kingdom asking the same question. What am I going to do now? And demands an answer. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, it demands an answer. Just like the National and the Starship of it demands an answer from its citizenry. This demands an answer. Now, if you're a Bible student, you'll know and you'll see in your Bible, some of you have some other words after verse eight, don't you? A couple of you got a good Bible and you got other words. Where those come from. Well, there's two other endings after verse eight. There's a shorter one and a longer one. And the shorter ending that some have says this. Then they quietly reported all these instructions to those around Peter. After this, Jesus himself also went out through them from east to west, uh, uh, sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation, amen. That's the shorter version. And, And some translations have that in there. Now, what we know from studying Mark is that is not how Mark speaks. That's not how he writes. There are words here that Mark has never, ever, ever used before. They're like three and four syllable words. I mean, this is like, this is like, you know, someone from Chowchilla using really big dictionary words. It just doesn't fit. And, and so we know that this is not the way Mark wrote or spoke. So this didn't come from Mark. And then there's the longer version. And the longer version is what most of you have in your Bibles, verses 9 through 20. And and, and it might tie a neat little bow at the end of the gospel, but verses 9 through 20 are simply a conglomeration of cherry-picked and hand-picked verses from the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. That's all it is. These two editions are found in later manuscripts, not the early ones. And what it tells us is that the early church, the early kingdom citizens, had difficulty with the lingering question that they were left with at the end of Mark. Now, please understand, there's nothing wrong with these other endings. Nothing wrong with them all. Matter of fact, they come right out of Scripture. You might think of them kind of as fan fiction. Kind of, How can we kind of tie this thing together? The one thing we know is that they weren't original. And people have been felt so awkward about the ending of Mark after verse 8 that they've tried to fix the problem. Instead of being left with the question, what does it require of the citizen? One theory is that due to either persecution or martyrdom, Mark wasn't able to finish his gospel. One theory says he just got sick or maybe he died, so he wasn't able to, to finish it. Other theories are that the last page of the codex of this, uh, that they had of the copy was just lost. I could give you many historical proofs as to why verses 19 through 20 were not original to Mark. I could tell you that the oldest Greek manuscripts we have do not have verses 9 through 20. I could tell you that the old Latin codex nor the Sinaitic Syrian manuscripts do not have what we know as verses 9 through 20. I could tell you that verses 9 through 20 are not in the hundreds of Armenian manuscripts that we possess. I could tell you that verses 9 through 20 but people like Alec, uh, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Eusebius, or Jerome knew nothing of verses 9 through 20. I could tell you all the historical fact that I can come up with about why this, but here's what I know, our culture doesn't care much about historical fact anymore, so I won't bore you with the history of it. Just understand that the best manuscripts we have leave us with a burning question and mark that every citizen must answer. how will I respond to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And what does my answer require of my life? Some suggest that Mark deliberately ended his gospel like this. See, through the entire gospel of Mark, there was this mystery and this awe and this wonder that surrounded who Jesus was. People often ask the question, who is this? Who does this? And some people suggest that Mark intentionally left the readers of the gospel of Mark, who we are, in the same position the women were left with. Understand, the women went to a tomb expecting to see a Jesus. When they got there, they were never given the appearance of a risen Savior. They were just simply given a proclamation that he had risen. We're left with the same position Wanting to see Jesus, we're left without a body. We're just simply given the proclamation that he has risen. And so the question that we're left with is, will our response be different from theirs? In light of the announcement, what will I now do? Some say that Mark intentionally leaves us in this place to gauge our response against theirs now this announcement is good news cuz here's the truth of it the end of the text doesn't mean the end of the story cuz the end of the text leaves us with a burning question that must be answered now we know from other gospels that the women didn't stay they might have started silent but they didn't stay silent we know that the women eventually told their story. The very existence of this portion of Mark confirms that they told their story. There wouldn't be a story if they didn't tell it. So we know by the existence of this story that they eventually told their story. The other gospels give us proof of the resurrection. John chapter 20 tells us that Mary held on to Jesus' feet at the tomb. And later in chapter 20, it tells us that Thomas touched his side of the resurrected Savior. Luke 24 tells us that Jesus took a walk along the Emmaus Road and spoke to two of his disciples. John 21 tells us that Jesus ate fish with the disciples at the seashore. We know that these things happen, but we don't know them from Mark. Here's why I think. I think Mark ends like he does, if it was intentional to invite us to fill in the blanks and become part of the story. The women left terrified and silent, how will you leave the announcement of the resurrection? He invites us into the story, into the narrative, to write our own script, to answer the question and make a decision. What if Mark's ending isn't really an ending at all? What if Mark deliberately left the ending incomplete? Because the conclusion was intended to launch us back into the gospel, back to the beginning. The angel asks, you're looking for Jesus, aren't you? It's the same question that every human at some level has asked, is asking, and will ask. It's the same question. Every human has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only Christ can fill. And at some level, every person is asking the question, God, where are you? Jesus, are you real? You're looking for Jesus, aren't you? Every one of us are. He says he's not here, you just missed him. He's gone ahead into Galilee, and you'll find him there. And with the conclusion of the book of Mark in verse 8, he invites us to join that story. He's back at Galilee. Go find him. And the citizen of the kingdom has to ask and answer that question. Do I want to go back to Galilee and find him? Do I want to go on a ride again back to Galilee and find him? He's invited me on a ride that's worth living for. Am I willing to take it? Every citizen of the kingdom must ask that question, the same question that those women at the tomb had to eventually answer. Go on a ride back to Galilee, to the place where Jesus' ministry began. Go on a ride back to the start of the gospel, back to the places at the margins of Israel, back to the places of the first nine chapters where the gospel began. Go on a ride. He's inviting you. On the adventure of a ride. Back to where it began. And this is a technique that ancient authors often used. To leave the endings of their novels ambiguous. So that it would require the reader to go back to the beginning and reread it. Seeking new wisdom and new insight and new revelation of what they missed. The first time, go on a ride back to the beginning. If you want to see the resurrected Jesus, go on a ride back to Galilee. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, go on a ride back to Galilee. See, it's in Galilee on a mountain. That God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him and we get a hint that he is indeed the Messiah. Go on a ride back to Galilee in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus takes Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever and touches her and heals her, and she arises and waits on them completely healed. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter 2, where Jesus commands a paralyzed man who cannot walk to stand up, and the man gets up, takes his mat, and walks. Go on a ride back to Mark chapter 3, where Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, and learn that. The truth that God's commands are God's enablements. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter 4 when Jesus calms the terror of the storm with simply the words of his mouth. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter five and see where Jesus raises a dead child and gives it life. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter six where Jesus creates a feast of abundance where there's only scarcity and lack and walks on water and takes the divine name of I am. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter seven where Jesus heals a demon possessed girl and liberates her and gives her freedom. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter eight and see where Jesus gives sight to eyes that had never beheld sight before. Go on a ride back to Galilee in chapter 9, where Jesus takes a little boy who had never spoken and never heard, and raises him up and heals him. Go on a ride with Jesus back into the kingdom and experience resurrection when you take that ride. Go back to Galilee, you begin to see that every appearance of Jesus was the appearance of a resurrection. Go on a ride. In Galilee, we find that Jesus and the kingdom of God has been about the kingdom the, the work of resurrection the entire time. And we've missed it. And so Mark invites us to go on a ride back to the beginning. This is the ride of the kingdom. This is the ride that we've been invited into. Jesus has moved on away from the tomb. He's not there anymore. And the angel of God invites us as citizens of the kingdom to go on a ride. Back to Galilee. The symbol that is the margins of society, Galilee. Amongst the sick and amongst the dead. Amongst the poor and amongst the hungry. To see the kingdom of God. Come to fruition. If you want to find Jesus, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, go on a ride back to Galilee to those places on the edges, the marginalized, the places that appear to be dead, to the most God-forsaken places in our culture and in your heart where Jesus feeds and Jesus heals those who are hungry and sick, where Jesus drives out demons and preaches hope to the brokenhearted, Jesus is always about the business of resurrecting dead things. Go on a ride. It's worth living for. This is the ride of the kingdom. Friends, I encourage you to ask yourself, where are the places in my world that seem dead and deserted? Jesus is there. Where are the places in the margins of my world that nobody really notices anymore? Where are the places in my own past, the own experiences that I've had, that are seem like they're beyond healing? The resurrected Jesus is waiting for you in those places. The resurrected Jesus is in those Galilee places. And he invites us to go on a ride back to those places. The resurrected Jesus is in those Galilee places of the angels of grace in Fresno that rescues babies and finds Christian foster homes. Go on a ride with them there. Go on a ride with Jesus. He's that pregnancy care center, the place that rescues unborn babies and heals moms and dads who think they are without hope. Go on a ride with them there. The resurrected Jesus is that Youth for Christ, intervening in the lives of young men who, 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 the, who, the, who the culture's given up on. Go on a ride with him there. The resurrected Jesus is at Vetus Plinus in Guatemala, in the academies in the largest urban slum in Central America. Go on a ride with him there. The resurrected Jesus is in Cuba all around the island as they push back evil and the darkness of an atheistic voodoo superstitious religion and a destructive inhumane government. Go on a ride with God there. Go on a ride with him to Mexico and build new churches and houses. Go on a ride. He's inviting us. Go on a ride with him in the new church plants that we're starting all around this country and in Riverstone. Go on a ride with us there. Where is Jesus? He's in Galilee places. Those places in our own heart that we try to forget. Where is Jesus? He's in Galilee places. to so those broken relationships and those feelings of failure that we live with. Where is Jesus? He's in Galilee places places of our need, of our uncertainty and our fear. And he's invited us to go on a ride with him back to those places to experience resurrection because of his mercy and his grace. Jesus is there in those places, raising dead things, healing sick things, feeding hungry things, forgiving guilty things. And he invites us to go on a ride back to the beginning bringing the kingdom to our world and to our community. Jesus is at work, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And this is the ride that Jesus invites us into. This is the ride that Jesus invites us to take with him. This is the ride that flip side is on, the kingdom ride, and it is worth living for. And it's the only thing in this world that will last into the next. It's the only thing in this world that will find lasting significance. Remember, every other ride we could take is going to end. And it will end with disappointment. So many of us give ourselves to rides that are temporary. Pursuits that are fleeting. And every one of those other rides we give ourselves is going to end with great consternation. Years ago, when I was down in Southern California, I was friends with the world record holder in the long jump, still holds it, who had an incredible career at UCLA, and then on the world stage in the World Games and the Olympics, still holds a record. He was part of my church. I married he and his wife. I've spent time with him in his home, with his Olympic friends. And as great as that ride was, like every athlete, it comes to an end. And that was the ride he had given himself to. And when it was starting to slow down and come to an end, he languished for purpose and meaning and peace and joy. It cost him his relationships, his marriage, and nearly his life. Every other ride is going to end. And ultimately, in disappointment, accept the ride of the kingdom. Accept the ride of the kingdom of God. And Mark's ending hmm, gives us the opportunity to step into the shoes of the disciples. And ask the lingering question. What will I now do? And who will I now become? Every citizen of the kingdom, because the banner that flies over us, the anthem that flies over us is the anthem and the banner of the resurrection. And because that is the anthem and the banner that flies over the citizens of the kingdom, every kingdom citizen is compelled to answer that question because of the resurrection. Who will I become? And what will I do as a citizen of the kingdom? Which ride will I give myself fully to? We have to ask ourselves. Will we join in the work of the resurrection? In the establishment of the kingdom of God? Will we join him on that ride? It isn't enough to know the truth. Though the truth will set you free. The gospel calls us to act and to speak. As the angel told the women, go and tell join the ride of the kingdom the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven go and tell join him on a ride this is the ride this is the ride that God invited us into this is the ride that Jesus invited me into all those years ago February 19th 1983 Sophomore in high school. God got a hold of me and said, Carl, I got a question for you. Do you want to go on a ride? And in the ignorance of a 16-year-old young boy, I said, yep, I sure do. Launch me into the mystery of the great unknown. And God has taken me on a ride Ever since then, and it's been ups and it's been down, but God has been faithful to keep me on the ride. Everything else that I pursued in this world is dying or dead except the ride of the kingdom of God. Will you go on a ride? September 11th, 2005, God invited us on a ride through Flipside. And we've been on a 16-year ride ever since. And I'm praying for 16 more. This is a ride worth living for. Will you take it? This is a ride worth living for. You're ready to go. If you are, then citizens of the kingdom say, God, take me on a ride. Launch me into the unknown. I'm ready to go. Whatever it means, whatever it costs. I'm tired of chasing rides that are going to end. I'm tired of living on a track that's just a perpetual circle going nowhere. Take me on a ride. Happy birthday, flip side. We got 16 more of a ride. God, thank you. Thank you that you've invited us on a ride. Thank you that you don't give up on us when we're chasing other stuff. Thank you that your perpetual call is for us to always answer the question, because your banner and your anthem is resurrection. What now will I become and what now will I do? We answer in response, God, with the simple words, take me on a ride.